Ron Ananian. Today's the day we get to talk about fixing cars. Sometimes I think I got the best job in the world. The car doctor. It's difficult enough for mechanics to deal with and work on the car. And then the average consumer thinks they know, and you just wonder what sort of misinformation is going on. And that's that's why I like being here, because I'm trying to be that in-between to explain what's going on so that you know. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines. Hello and welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number, 855-560-9900. We are live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. If you wish to call in on the 855-560-9900 Car Doctor hotline, you can do so. If we're not here, leave a message. Executive producer and chief cook and bottle washer, Tom Ray, no phony, not a baloney. Um, no baloney, not a phony. He's got to be one or the other. We'll give you a call back and uh, put you in the queue for the next live broadcast. I want to talk to you about how to interview a mechanic. I was thinking about this during the week, and this, this real-world scenario happened to me at the shop this week. And I said, you know, this would be a great question for those of you trying to figure out, you know, if the mechanic you're going to is what you're really looking for. And I'll explain it like this. I had a 2004 Jeep Grand Cherokee that came into the shop at RA Automotive about a week and a half ago. It took the guy a little while to pick it up. And it had a check engine light on it. Check engine light fault. It had a P1494, which doesn't matter. It's for the sake of our conversation, it could have been a bad widget. And the widget needed to be replaced. In this case, it was a it was a vacuum leak at the main line going up to the, a leak detection pump. So we'll call it a widget. Keep it simple so we're not confusing anybody. And, and, and the widget was bad. And on top of that, on top of the bad LDP or widget, it also had rusted brake lines. And, uh, you know, 200,000 miles, 14 years old, I've got to be honest and straight as I always am. I'm, I'm, I'm here like I am in the shop, folks. I just tell it to you like it is. I'm just delivering the message. And, you know, if you're really going to put money into, the, into this part of the emission control systems, you've really got to fix the brake lines. You've got to keep it safe. And they, they thought about it, and they hemmed and hawed, and we were talking numbers, and it's probably two grand to, to by the time you go through and do all this, because I'm thinking we're going to do all the brake lines, or we're going to fix the LDP, the leak detection pump, and fix the uh, vacuum line that's split, and, you know, some other maintenance items and, you know, things going on. Put the car in shape. No, we're not going to do that. We don't want to spend that kind of money, so we'll come pick up the car. Okay, no problem. Took them five days to come pick up the car, but I get it. Everybody's busy. So the owner showed up with his son late in the day. You know, his son, and this is the unsettling part, his son is a Subaru mechanic somewhere working on Subarus or attempting to. And the reason I say it is because it, it made me question um, his diagnostic approach by the following conversation. The conversation really became, you know, because nothing nothing is a bigger pain in the neck than trying to explain something to a know-it-all mechanic about what's wrong with the father's car when he's there to thump his chest and, you know, tell you how right he is and how wrong you are. And the issue came back to you really don't need to fix the leak detection pump because you could drive around like that with the check engine light on and it won't affect anything. And I said, you're absolutely right to a point. You can drive around with a check engine light on. The problem is... How will you know when you have the next bigger problem? 
and what that bigger problem is and how do you pay attention to it. And maybe you'll know when the vehicle finally stops, depending upon the severity of the problem, so why plant a time bomb? Well, the conversation continued. He responded, you know, it won't really matter because we're not going to use this a whole lot. We're just going to fix the two rusted brake lines that are, or the two brake lines that are really rusted and not worry about the rest of them, to which I responded, well, you know, when you fix the two weakest links, it's like plumbing. The next leaky pipe that's got the potential to leak always leaks next. So, you know, do we want to change all the brake lines? Do we want to do this one piece at a time? Do we want to wait, you know, fix one or two, and then when the other one fails, after they pry the car off the telephone pole or another car, then we'll fix the rest of them. Like, how do you want to approach this? And then I was told that I'm trying to spend too much money on a 14-year-old car, and to which my reply was, dude, I'm not really trying to spend any money. I really don't care. All my stuff runs, and it's in good shape, and I'll go from here to California in it. I'm trying to tell you what it takes to fix a car properly. Well, that isn't how we do it at Subaru. Well, I said that and of it speaks for itself. And the issue becomes, and I think the question you need to ask your mechanic is, can you drive around with a check engine light on it? I'd be curious to take a survey to see how many answers you would get. Because the truth is, and the right answer is, no, you can't drive around with a check engine light on. Because you're setting yourself up for failure. Listen, and maybe you do this, and maybe this is the type personality that can absorb this, but if you can drive around with a gas gauge that's broken, or if you can drive around with an engine temperature gauge that's not operating, or you can drive around with an oil pressure light on, then maybe you can drive around with a check engine light that's on. Because information isn't important to you, and you like rolling the dice. But if you're looking for safety, if you're looking for reliability, if you're looking for longevity, dashboard warning indicators are there for a reason. And that reason is generally to keep you safe, keep you on the road, and keep the car reliable so it can do what it needs to do. Short term, can you drive around with a check engine light on? Yeah. Um, listen, I live in the real world, too. I get it. You know, if you're waiting for the next paycheck to, sp to get the $300 to fix the, the leak detection pump or, or whatever it is you're working on, I get that. But not as a full-time job, not as a full-time reason. Forget the morality of trying to keep the environment clean. I understand that because I'm not going to open up that can of worms and have the political conversation about is it really about clean environment or is it about making money in politics, and I don't want to go there. Where I want to go is it's important to keep a check engine light off. It's important to keep a vehicle in proper working order. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to the person next to you, and that's a reflection on society, I think. Not to get on the soapbox, but I think when we, you know, Oh, the heck with it. It's okay. I won't worry about it. I'll pass it on to the next guy mentality. Um, sooner or later, there's nobody left to pass it on to you, and karma comes back and bites you. Ask your mechanic, is it okay to drive around with a check engine light on? See what sort of answer you get. But remember this, that check engine light can come on for over 1,800 reasons today. And when it's on the first time, for whatever that fault code is, six months goes by, that light's still on, there could be another problem, there could be another problem, and there could be another problem. Sometimes the check engine light coming on will cause the computer not to test certain portions of its evaporative emission system. So now here's the scenario. You go into the mechanic and you say, hey, fix my car. I, finally, I can finally do this or I need to do this because I have to go through inspection. And they fix the first fault and two days later the light comes on. It's a different fault. And they fix that, and then three days later, the light comes on. It's a completely different fault. And the reason is because the computer operates in a logical sequence. It's, it's looking at fault one. That gets resolved. Then it goes and tests another part of the system. It looks at fault two. That gets resolved. 
It looks at the third part of the, or another part of the system and it finds fault three. That gets resolved. And it continues until the vehicle's fixed. One of the favorite lines we use at the shop, you know, is, are you sure my car is fixed? I'm as sure as the computer allows me to be. Because until the computer's happy, I just don't know. I can prove to you why it's bad. I can prove to you why that part needed to be replaced. But all in all, it's up to the computer to keep it safe and to keep that light out. So just uh, just something to think about. Ask your mechanic, hey, can I drive around with a check engine light on? See what kind of an answer you get. 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany, The Car Doctor. More information at cardoctorshow.com. We'll return right after this to kick the garage doors wide open. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Running in the car, doctor. Let's uh, let's go over and open the phone lines at 855-560-9900. Let's go over and talk to Joe in Florida. Line one. Joe, welcome to the car, doctor, sir. How can I help? Hey, doctor. Yes, sir. What's going on? Yes. Just a quick question for sure. you. Um, my 2007 Silverado just was doing the front brakes on it. It's got rear drums, which is something the parts store asked me. I guess this truck came with rear drums or discs. Yep, yeah, um, it was an option. Anyway, yeah, I've got the drums. The front brakes just seem to drag more than any other car I've ever owned before. And um, no one really seems to know if that's just a characteristic of this truck or if I've got another uh, issue. It's it's not enough to, you know, make them smoking hot or... What, what makes you think make they're the, dragging, Joe? So you just... Uh, once you press the brakes and I've got the wheels off the car, you literally almost cannot spin the rotor by hand. But you can, but it's really difficult. And I'm used to kind of uh, feeling them release a lot more on the other vehicles I've owned. I don't know if that's a barometer for dragging brake measurement. I, I, okay. I wouldn't do it that way. Um, you know, yeah, I'd, I'd want to be sure the the fluid's clean and the calipers are, are releasing. You were able to compress the calipers quick and easy enough? I, I did, um, and I actually kind of thought, well, I did a little bit of diagnostic myself, like cracking the bleeder screws, making sure there's no hydraulic pressure right. in there. And was there, there? Wasn't. There wasn't? Okay. There was not. They were still, with whether those screws were open or closed. You know, when you open them and the fluid just dribbles out, there wasn't any pressure in there right. and uh, really still didn't release up to what I was looking for. So at that point, I went ahead and uh, and thought, well, let's go ahead and let's just replace these calipers. They must not be retracting by themselves enough. And, uh, you know, that was a waste of money because they're 100% the same way. Right. How many miles are on the truck? Uh, 240. Yeah. Are those the original calipers? No. Okay. How, how they were replaced in like twenty. Uh, the person who owned the truck for me kept impeccable records. He was taking it in for work done, and it looked like every two years when he would take it in, they would tell him um, these special phenolic calipers need replacing. So they were done in like 2012. They were done again in 2015, and I just did them this month again. Okay. Um, I mean, I you know I I agree on older systems. You got to be a little more judgmental of calipers i i don't know that that was your problem here how clean is the fluid uh, pretty clean because every now and then i'll suck out the fluid out of the reservoir and just replace it and then i flushed it a bunch obviously when i was doing the job right oh you're, you're one of those guys 
I am. It's called proper maintenance. Yeah. I do the same thing. Every oil change, I suck the fluid out of my masters if I have the time. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, how's the pedal? Is the pedal good? Good quality pedal? Um, I'll be honest with you. It was a little soft, and I could not get it to uh, tighten up, but then I started to drive it a little bit, did some hard braking events. Maybe that helped drive the air up wherever it was. Right. So it's back to being good. Well, yeah, because this has ABS on it, and, and one of the reasons I like brake flushes on older vehicles today more than anything is, and it depends on how you're doing them, is you're you're moving the hydraulics internally on not just the caliper and the master, but also the ABS controller, the EBCM mounted on the frame rail, usually under the driver's seat area on that vehicle. So when I flush it at the calipers and I do it from the furthest one to the closest one, am I doing it through the ABS module? You sure, you sure are. I, 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 assume, okay. I assume, which is a dangerous word, what you're doing is you've got some sort of a bottle on the ground with a hose connected to the bleeder and you're, you're stroking fluid into the bottle that's partially filled with fresh. Does that sound like a description of um, what you're doing? I'm glad you asked me that because now I, I bought a vacuum bleeder. Okay. And obviously one of the first things I wit- experience is air being sucked in through the bleeder when I loosen it. Right. Well, and that's, so yeah, and, yeah, I know what you're saying. The, the threads on the bleeder are so worn out that on, on the reverse stroke on a flush, it'll or, or using a vacuum bleeder, it'll actually draw air through the bleeder threads and... Yeah, and it makes it look like you got a bunch of air in there. Right, and you don't. I'm, I'm a little right. worried. Is air going in? It can't be right. coming out. It's under a vacuum. So um, here's what here's what we want to do. First of all, you know, a, a vacuum bleed where you're going to suck it out to me is eh, it's, it's it's maintenance on a newer vehicle with low mileage. But on but on an, but on an old puppy with you know high mileage on it, I like to do a manual stroke and bleed, just because it really okay. pushes the fluid through. And works all the hydraulics, so you're breaking up all the crud and the grit. Okay. Uh, um, your your brake fluid bottles that you're you know using to put brake fluid in are they quartz by chance? Yeah. Okay. I usually uh, buy the quartz. Cl- plastic bottles, right? Yeah. Cans don't exist anymore. So so what I would tell you to do is cut the top off of the uh, plastic brake fluid bottle, and we'll use that as our flush cup. We used to use we used to go down to Burger King and get their um over deluxe size plastic uh, cups, but they no longer make those, I think, because they, um, I don't know, I think maybe they heard I was talking about them on the show. I've been doing it for years. So, but a plastic a plastic bottle, you know, and, and then I get a binder clip, you know, a black binder clip, and I will cut a piece of rubber hose, a pigtail curly cue the hose into the bottom of the a bottle, and I will use the binder clip to hold the hose to the uh, cup. Now I've made a, I've made a brake flush bottle for probably... Well, the cup is free because you had to buy the brake fluid anyway um, for the price of a binder clip and a, and, a, and a length of hose. And you just get a length of hose to match the size of the bleeder you're working on. And you're going to partially fill that bleeder, or I'm sorry, you're going to partially fill the bottom of the brake fluid bottle. Oh, I don't know. Give me, uh, give me, give me an inch, an inch and a half. All right? And now you're going to open the bleeder. And in your case, because your bleeders are worn and you're, 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 you're drawing air, I'm going to tell you to take the bleeders out all the way and put a dab of heavy wheel bearing grease around the threads and then put the bleeder back into the caliper housing. Leave it Mm -hmm. partially open. The grease, if you pack enough on there, should, and a heavy enough grease, the grease will act as a barrier and help prevent air from being drawn down past the threads and coming back out, you know, through the cup when you, you know, on your intake and exhaust when you're pushing up and down. Get in the truck. Make sure the master's full. Get in the truck. 
and just stroke the pedal. Nice mm-hmm. and easy. We're not we're not looking to play the, yeah. like we're bouncing on the drums here, but you know, just give me a one, two, one, two. Nice steady count. Do that eight to ten times. Check the master. Do it again. When you get spotlessly clean fluid from the caliper, whatever bleeder you're working on, move to the next one in whatever the sequence is that the manufacturer wants you to bleed the vehicle. And I believe in this case you're doing it right. What you're going to find is, and it's kind of interesting, you're going to, the, the manual stroke like that actually breaks up all the varnish and grit and crud in the system and pushes it out where a vacuum bleed just, you know, sucks. Mm-hmm. It just sucks mm-hmm. on it. It doesn't really create any movement. So you're going to find that you'll end up with clean fluid and a bunch of crud comes out. And if you have a clean bottle when you start, just uh, let that fluid sit overnight. And the next day or, or strain it through a paint strainer, you'll be amazed at the crud that comes out of a brake fluid system. It's just it's mind-boggling. That being said, okay, that's, that's the flush procedure. That being said, as far as the original question, the brake's dragging, uh, do you own a thermal imager? Do you own a heat gun? I don't have a thermal imager. I have infrared. Yeah, infrared. Something that just measure temperature. Um, take it for a ride, and you know, let's uh, let's just go yeah. through some normal driving, and let's let's shoot the rotors and see where we are. Uh, you know, you'll be you'll be three fifty, four hundred degrees, four fifty, something like that. That's typical. Uh, you know, you start to see eight, nine hundred degrees. Uh, then maybe we got something dragging, and then we can have that conversation. By the way, there are some known problems with these vehicles: master cylinder sticking brake booster sticking but before we go down that road do the brake bleed and flush just like i told you and see what you come up with for numbers for heat and we can talk again next week all right joe good luck to you in florida and uh, have some oranges for me i'm running any in the car doctor 855-560-9900 we're back right after this don't go away so you don't forget to call for car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Now, back to Ron. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor. Let's, uh, just, I just want to do a, I've been trying to read this for a couple of weeks. Um, this is a Honda service tip out of Honda, and uh, we'll come right back to the phone calls after this. Just uh, one second. Um, if you've got a Honda, uh, diagnostic trouble code P0341, which is related to cam position sensor A and uh, crank position sensors being improperly phased or aligned together. And the service tip goes on. It says, old oil. I thought this was kind of ironic. Old oil causes the cam chain to wear quickly. As a result, it stretches beyond the point where the cam chain auto-tensioner can keep up. The extra slack causes the valve timing control actuator and the exhaust camshaft sprocket to lag behind, and you wind up with DTC P0341. Uh, They put together a job aid consisting of a flow chart and special troubleshooting procedure in other words, everybody's diagnosing it wrong, and the manufacturer is tired of paying warranty when they don't have to. Uh, you will check for a damaged or stretched timing chain by measuring the cam chain auto tensioner rod length. If it's more than 13.5 millimeters, you've got a bad cam chain. So look at the look at the measurements you have to do today. 13 and a half millimeters. I don't have anything that would measure half a millimeter. I have to get up the veneer, um, and at that, it's it's a guess. So if it's 13.3 millimeters, is it bad? 
And then the other question I've got is, so they're saying old oil. What's their definition of old oil? My God, Honda wants 7,500 to 10,000 miles on oil changes. And now they're talking about problems with the timing chains and the actuator controls as, as a possible being affected by old oil. Why can't we just change oil at normal intervals? Why can't we just say, hey, we made a machine. It's, it's got to get serviced on a regular basis, and life would get a whole lot simpler. I just, I don't get it. But if you've got a Honda and you've got a P0341, you probably didn't change the oil enough. Let's go over and talk to Steve in Nashua. Is that Nashua? Nashua, New Hampshire? Steve, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hi, hi Ron. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm rolling along, man. I'm having a great time. Had a great week, and, uh, you know, here I am. What's cooking? Excellent. Haven't talked to you uh, since the early 90s. I don't think YouTube or Face Blast was around uh, back then. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what. It's, and it, you know, it's scary. People say those things to me, and I'm thinking, yeah, it was the 90s. It's like, I think I've been doing this too long. I'm not really sure. It's just, you know, you're 27. Here we are. So, as long as you enjoy what you do. Uh, I love it every day. Yeah. I love it every day, Stevie. I really do. What's going on? Not too much. Uh, service vehicle, 04 Chevy Tahoe Z71, my daily uh, driver. Okay. Uh, mostly highway miles. Uh, I'm approaching, uh, just hit 213K, motor runs strong. I've done a lot of maintenance to it, intake, uh, gaskets, brakes all around. Um, I just picked up, just to be, uh, err on the side of caution, I think I'm running on borrowed time as far as the fuel pump is concerned. I could buy um, that. Yeah, uh, I didn't want to go with a cheap one, uh, so I did pick up a, a, um, a Delphi. Okay. And I was wondering if you could, you know, potentially, possibly give me some uh, pointers on, uh, I'm going to drop the tank, but in terms of release, releasing fuel pressure and stuff like that. Are you, are, you're changing the entire pump module, right, Steve? Yes, uh, with the uh, fuel uh, filter inside of it, right. yes. Right, and, and it has the sender, and it has the FTP, the fuel tank pressure sensor, built into the top of it. This is a complete yep. unit, correct? Okay. Yes. So, you know, this is a tough thing to do on your back. Are you planning to do this on your back? Yes, I'm in the driveway. I've got some good jacks, lifts. I've got all the tools, 20 years worth. I've been okay. doing this for a while. So Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of a hump to get up around the top of the tank because you've got to release the fuel lines. There's some plastic you know, retainer clips that have to come out to get the yeah. lines off. And it's, you, really, you, know, you can try it by the Braille method, but you know, to be able to get your face right on it, it really works a whole lot easier. Uh, you know, we typically will pull the drive shaft, you know, try and wedge ourselves up in there, and you know, see what we have to see, and we'll be using it. We'll be using a special. I have a, actually have a fuel tank handler jack that I can strap the tank to and lower it down a couple of inches. You know, get my head up in there, see what I got to see, undo the clip, whatever style it is, unplug the electrical. You've also you're you're also likely going to have some rollover control valve hoses and some uh, vent or vapor lines at the corners of the tank. You've got to be aware of, and yeah. you know, be mindful. Fourteen years old. All that plastic's yep. going to be brittle, and yep. you know you want to you want to kind of try and take it easy. Um, it wouldn't be out of the realm. How, however, you get up there, it wouldn't be out of the realm to have a little can of either carburetor cleaner or mm -hmm. silicon spray. One or the other is going to be able to. And you know, sometimes I'll take a pick tool, a right angle pick tool, and I'll I'll kind of pull up on the hose and give it a little and let it, you know, shoot a little you know spray in there. One or the other and let it soften the rubber up a little bit so I can get it off the end of the tank without breaking it. Sure. Now, the alternative, just to throw this out there, is we have switched on some vehicles. We're pulling the beds off the truck. I know. I saw that. And I've seen some videos. Yeah, and that's, 
I got to tell you, it, it's 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 a lot less work than it looks like usually. <laughs> I can get the bed off the Ranger in 20 minutes. It's wow. it's, it's six screws uh, that hold the bed to the frame, and it's the three little uh, seven thirty second screws that hold the fuel filler neck to the body, and the and undo the undo the wiring harness connection in the back where the you know for the tail lights and the directionals, and the and the and the bed's off. I mean, we're at the fuel pump and. I mean, I think we we just did a fuel pump on the Ranger last month, and uh, um, I think we did the whole job in an hour and fifteen minutes. It was just wow. it, it was just quick, uh, you know, and it wasn't painful. Now, yes. you know, in your case, you're going to need an overhead dolly or an overhead engine hoist of some type. So, yeah. you know, it's it's like I said, it's a trade off. Which which way do you want to go? The thing you've got to be concerned about is, you know, up in New Hampshire. What does the under, underside of that vehicle look like? What, it's actually good. I, I had it uh, rust-coated uh, many years ago, okay. and I get a monthly pass to the uh, car wash that okay. I pay for. All right. Yeah. Then, you know, that, that's because that's, that's always my other always yeah. always my other factor. My other factor always, one or the other. And, yep. uh, you know, just, just to be mindful. But if, sure. if, if you can find an engine hoist that yep. will bring it up, you've got to remember you've got a clear... Uh, you've got to get up high enough that you could pull the truck forward or push the truck forward so that you clear the wheel wells. You know, sometimes that's not the worst idea or the worst way to do it. Just keep in mind you've got to worry about weight and, the, and, and it tipping forward. We, you know, in the shop, we've got an I-beam with an engine dolly on it, and it's just a whole lot easier. It just goes up and push the truck forward, do our change, and, uh, you know, back together. Uh, quickest way to re uh, relieve fuel pressure on that, uh, should I – Go to the fuel pump uh, relay and uh, pull it, and then crank the vehicle over. You can. It's you know it's probably it's likely going to time out and not not do anything as far as energizing the pump um, after it sees a certain amount of time. What I would tell you is if you can find the fuel pressure schrader, um, yep. I would just you don't have to pull the relay. Just find the schrader, take a rag, wrap a Please. screw wrap a rag around a screwdriver, and you know some safety glasses. Obviously, take the cap off to press the plunger on the schrader. The rag will absorb whatever spritzes out, and um, you're good to go. I mean, the other thing is, if, if if you do this on a Saturday morning, just park it Friday night. By the time you get to it Saturday morning, I really doubt it's going to have any pressure. You can you can you know plunge the schrader, but chances are there's going to be nothing there. Oh wow, excellent, Ron. Thank yeah. you. Uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the call. Good to talk to you. You're welcome, sir. Good luck. Yes, you you take good care. Um, yeah, it's, that's a tough job to do on your back, and, and I get it. A lot of guys do it. God bless them, but um, that's a tough deal. I uh, I wish you luck. Let's uh, let's take a pause. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Running into the car doctor. I'll be back right after this. Back running in the car doctor at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Quick piece of email. Ron mentioned a product recently called K Seal. What is the correct spelling of this product? John, John, it's not C A S E A L. It's K. K is in Kansas. K Seal, uh, which is the cooling system sealer that we're having such great luck with and have had over these many years. And we've been talking about it up here on radio. More information at kseal.com. So uh, thanks for the inquiry. Let's get over and talk to. Uh, where are we going here? Let's go. Um, let's go to line one. Let's go talk to Bob in Andover, New Hampshire. And let's uh, see what's going on. Bob, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Hello, Ron. Um, I, I was telling Tom I bought a 2005 Silverado um, last fall. Okay. And I, all four tires were changed at the time in the deal. And I drove it about three months. 
and the whole center of the rim broke. Wow. Not just the hub area, but the whole center of the rim. Right. So, it, in other words, the, the rim separated from the spokes, so to speak, so the wheel fell off, kind of, sort of. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the reason for that was they have a cover over the over the rim on the 2005, and I think it kept the salt in there and it, over the years. It just ate right through it. Yeah. So I replaced all the all the rims with aluminum. And I just, I just wanted you to, you know, if, if somebody's going fast and that happens, Boy, you got that, a problem. There's a moment. i got to tell you, I saw that. I came up on that here in Jersey on 17 North and Paramus. A late model Honda um, was doing that. And I, I got there as the fire crew was cleaning it up. And it's really a scary sight because not only seeing the wheel come off or, or the ensuing chaos and the smoke and get the guy out of the car thing, but when I finally got to the point where I was up up on the accident scene, it's very strange. You see the tire mounted on the aluminum rim, still holding air, but there's no center. The center is completely gone because it's still on the car. Exactly. It actually broke, and you're like, wow. Uh, That's what I did. You, you <laughs> got, <Wow>. you got <laughs> to see the skid mark on the road. Probably the guy too um, when it happened, but it just—it was just like holy schmoly. I've and I think it's a problem, and I don't think it's just Chevys. And no, there's there's no bulletins, there's no recalls on anything like that. I think, uh, you know, I think one of the and I just had this conversation this morning at the chiropractor with someone um, that I think it's the chemicals that we're putting on the road. Obviously, it's the chemicals we're putting on the road to to beat up salt and you know ice and the bad weather. And it's it's going to be a continuing chronic problem, you know. From yeah, these rims had an extra cover on the outside of it. Um, okay. I, yeah. I think that kept the salt in over the years. Sounds logical, and I, I think it also makes the case for after after bad weather, you really got to get the car washed somehow, and it's not just washing the outside; it's washing the undercarriage too. Oh yeah. You know, um, it, it, right. it, it 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 kind of makes me wonder what's going to happen, and I hate to start this line of conversation, but what will happen with the self-driving car? I wonder how quick that self-driving car will be to react, to slow down and take control in an accident situation like that. That's a um, good question. I, I would love to see a simulated wheel falling off a self-driving car and how it can control that That Maybe they'll scenario. do that for you. Well, maybe if they're listening. So <laughs> let's see if Elon's listening to me. So, But anyway, Bob, that's the deal. I wish you luck, and uh, thanks for tuning in and being part of the group. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, sir. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back right after this. Ron and Nene and the Car Doctor is brought to you in part by the Car Care Council, reminding you that April is National Car Care Month. Visit carcare.org for a number of fantastic tools, including tips, service schedules, videos, and more. You're not left. Fix it! More car advice done right when Ron and Nene returns right after this. Hey, let's get on over and talk to Tony. Tony, welcome to the Car Doctor. How can I help you today? Hi, Ron. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, Tori, actually, mm. but, um, I'm hey, sorry. Go ahead. Talk to you. Yeah, yes, sir. Um, I own a 96 GMC, uh, pickup one ton, and it's 
pretty confusing here what's going on with it. Okay. Um, I heard you mention something about this once before. Um, it, it only has 108,000 miles on it, believe just, it or not. Just broken in, brother. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it runs great. Yep. But I'm, after about 10 minutes of running, whether it's idling or whatever, it uh, my heat gauge will go right up, and my cold, my um, heater air will turn cold. And as soon as that happens, my heat gauge will go right up, and it gets almost to the red where my gauge will come on, or my dash will come on, say, uh, check gauges. So first time it happened to me, I shut it right down. Right. And I popped the hood, and I could lay my hand right on the valve cover. It's not even hot. Okay. And I changed the thermostat. I flushed the heater core, and I flushed the radiator and did it, put it all back with uh, non-silicate radiator fluid and thought there, that's probably it. And it's still doing this. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this. When you see the temperature gauge spike up, it's, 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 so let's, let, let me ask the question this way. You get in the truck tomorrow. Okay. It's cold. Turn the heat on low. When you first start out, it's going to blow cold air. Correct. Right. So when you see the temperature gauge spike up to where it looks like it's overheating, the temperature gauge is still, the, 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 the heater is still blowing cold or cool air, correct? Uh, no. Once, once the heat gauge goes up, I get my hot air, and sometimes it'll get up around 250. Well, now that I know that, the, that by touching the motor it's not hot, I'll... I'll cringe a little bit because it's getting in the red. But all of a sudden, I'll watch my gauge drop right down back to, like, 150, 160. And when it does it, my motor will, like, muffle. It'll burr like that, and I'll watch that gauge drop right back down. I wonder where your, I wonder but, where your temperature sensor is. What engine is this, a 5.7? Yeah. So this is the temperature sensor is, I believe, between cylinders one and three on the driver's side. If memory serves correct, I don't think it's up in the manifold that year. And I'm, I'm wondering if you're seeing a spike in temperature. I wonder, and I'm, don't panic here, but I wonder if there is an issue in the cooling system that uh, a combustion leak gets into the cooling system, into, uh, you know, uh, a head gasket seep or a, a combustion chamber leak into coolant, and it's putting an air bubble in the system which then causes the temp gauge to spike. The air in the system disrupts coolant flow and gives you, you know, hot or cold and then hot air at the heater core, and then it comes back to normal as it reaches that certain temperature and seals itself up and it goes away. Yep. Um, actually, my, uh, my buddy's son has his own garage, and right. I should have asked him another question, but he thought maybe he's a little bit baffled, too. But he thought maybe that there was an intake leak. Yeah, very possible. So let's do this, Tori, because the clock's going to grab me. Ask him to do a combustion leak check using a five-gas emissions analyzer. And give me a call back next week and give me the results, and we'll go from there. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. Good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. See ya.